1: everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. Jazz hands. I'm your host, Keely or joined by these rowdy boys over here, Shotgun Spratling and Orion Abraham. We're here to talk about USC's historic loss, the second one in the Coliseum.
2: Keely, you keep saying that.
3: Third, I think, but yeah. It was. What? Third loss in the Coliseum. Third historic yes.
1: loss. Okay, sure. No problem. Sure, okay. <laughs> they, they
3: add up. This is hard to count. Sorry,
1: it's been a long season already. Uh, <laughs> You know, I used to say this back in the day, and I'm going to bring it back. Vision is free weekly therapy for you guys, for USC fans. We're here for you. Put your comments, your questions, your concerns in the chat box, wherever you are. I believe we're live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll try to answer your questions as best as possible. We have a lot to talk about tonight. We'll talk about USC's loss. Heading into the bye week, what should USC focus on? We got to hear from Dante Williams in his Sunday night press conference, So we'll tell you what we heard from him, as well as injury updates. We got an update on Michael Trigg. That was a bang-bang play yesterday, so we'll get into what we saw or what we heard from Dante on the latest. And then also we'll we'll take calls tonight, 5124 Tunnel Call In. If you have a question, please keep it brief. Mute your stream. Uh, we love taking questions from you guys as long as they're brief. So Yeah,
3: brief. Brief question. Brief
1: is the question. Yes. You, don't want,
3: Keely, you right. don't want Keely mad at you. She gets mad at us a lot. We don't like it. Don't get <laughs> oh She'll God. get mad at you the callers. Yeah. Sure,
1: sure. righty, guys. Like I said, uh was a pretty sight yesterday in the Coliseum. I mean, what are your takeaways from the game?
3: Wow. Yeah. It was uh it was pretty bad. And I didn't, you know, Actually, props to Shotgun. He's the only one that picked uh, USC not to cover that one. So he ties uh, Keely on our our pick pool thing.
1: Man, my undefeated
3: streak is over. It is. Yeah. uh, But I really did think that, you know, I felt like USC was going to come back and you're going to see somewhat of a competent offense. We didn't know what state Utah was going to be in. They had a lot of stuff going on, you know, after the bye week. Um, And, you know, Utah just came in and did the exact same thing that Stanford did. And Oregon State did, all of them in their own way, all of them a little bit different, but they were able to come in and be more physical than USC and push the Trojans around and really make it a, a non-game. Like, it was USC was out of it, and we saw the Coliseum. It wasn't bad. There's was still, you know, there was a bunch of people there. It wasn't, uh, we had a tailgate before the game. Uh, I think there was a lot more people on campus, from what I heard, than around the Coliseum, just because it was like the parents' weekend thing. Uh, But I thought the atmosphere wasn't bad again at the beginning. The Stanford one was the best probably to start off, but it's the exact same thing we've seen week after week where everyone's filing out of there. And, um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, Jonte Williams afterwards was talking about, you know, the team never gave up. They had a lot of fight. And I just didn't see that, you know. It just didn't seem like they had that kind of fight. And this is the problem. When I asked them today about, you know, going to you have to be the interim head coach for 10 games like that's a long stretch usually that doesn't happen like it might be a couple of games whatever but to do it for the basically the majority of the season like how do you keep these guys motivated and you know I talked about really not being able to play for the Pac-12 championship with three losses you know and Arizona State's undefeated um he said it still wasn't out of the question so to me I don't know what you guys thought about that, but that just seemed to be like, uh you're not really getting it. Like, how are you gonna keep these guys motivated all year when pretty much everyone is on the hot seat? Like every coach is gonna be gone, most likely, or potentially gone. Players can leave. Like this is really like you just don't want to have a throwaway season. And the way it's going now it just feels like it's a throwaway season.
2: I will say that his answer was correct though. He said, I don't want to say that we're out of it. He said, I never think that way. And he said, especially because the Pac-12, everyone beats up on each other. It's true. And we've seen that time and time again. I mean, Oregon State looked like world beaters against USC. They beat Washington, you know, win that game in dramatic fashion, and then drop a turd uh, to Washington (laughs) State despite running for like 300-something yards. They should have controlled that game the entire time, and somehow they still lost that game. So, you know, UCLA looks really good at the beginning of the season, really struggled. So... Is someone going to step up and be that team? Can it is it Arizona State? I mean, it's possible. They have a lot of veteran defenders. They have Jaden Daniels who takes care of the ball. And that's a huge thing because that's determined a lot of the games in this in this conference right now is the turnovers. Um and USC had one yesterday, but you know, the USC's biggest issue was not capitalizing on opportunities. So it was the opposite of giving away extra opportunities. They they had thirty one plays in the early in the game and came away with three points. Their first three drives, and they had 31 plays. Wow. So that means they're driving the ball. They yeah. had eight plays, 12 plays, 11 plays in their first three drives, and they came away with three points on those drives. Yeah, that's – that's une- you can't
3: have that. It was like very Stanford-esque where they're going in and driving into opponent's territory and weren't able to uh, do anything with that. But here's the thing. Like, yes, because like mathematically, is USC in it? Sure. But when you have three home games in conference – and you're not within three touchdowns in the fourth quarter in any of them. You're not in the conference race. What I wanted to hear from him was something about, it doesn't matter about that. We can't think about Rose Bowls or whatever. Like We just have to like play good football at home. And this is how we're going to motivate guys going into the bye week. You know what I mean? That's where I had the issue with You're like, oh, we're still alive. Like, Ugh. I mean, That's he, not what I wanted to he hear.
1: Says, he said something similar in the post-game press conference from what you wanted to hear. I mean, it's something where... He has to motivate his team somehow. He's not gonna be like, Yes, media reporter, this season's over and I'm just stuck in the mud as a interim head coach. Like he has to say something. I just it's a weird position for him to be in.
3: No, I I, I get that, but I I wouldn't focus on the motivating factor is not gonna be we can win the Pac twelve south. Like I I I think you have to throw that out the window. Like we need to be within three touchdowns in the fourth quarter of a game at home. Like I think that's a you know, that's a more achievable
2: goal. Like it just doesn't seem like Can't you have both? I I mean I, th- I mean, I understand your point. Um, and to go along with Keely on this, what's his mentality? What has his mentality been since he took over? Want to know each day? Yeah. So that is, we're going to focus on a day. You know, we got to do better. Blah blah blah. But you know, when he was asked a question about, you mentioned the Pac-12 championship and threw that into the question. He's going to respond something about the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. So, you know, they're they're really struggling right now. They they have some big deficiencies that have come back to haunt them from previous recruiting classes. That's a big part of it. The nose tackle position. Um, their linebackers are not playing great. Can I Malga actually played a really good game last night. Okay. But you know that gets really overshadowed when the other team's able to, you know, kind of do what they want at will and the cornerbacks, you know, are, are on islands the entire time because USC's not getting enough pressure. And they're trying to bring five, six, seven guys. So they're saying, hey, we trust those cornerbacks. They can make that one-on-one. Let's try to find a way to get pressure. I think the numbers now, uh, PFF does, you know, they do an early grade and they go back and reassess it and look at it a little bit closer. But looking at it, the early grades from from last night were that Utah had 18 pressures. So Keaton Sloan was under attack. You know, now he dropped back 53 times. So, um, But how many do you think USC had?
3: Pressures on,
2: on, on Cameron
3: Rising, who had like yeah, he was a
2: He was twenty two of twenty eight. He had USC had five pressures. Ooh. According yeah. to
3: PFF. Yeah, that's not good.
2: So you know, if, if you're keeping those guys on islands and you're not getting any pressure, then you're basically just giving up defenders. Um so and that was the case last night. You know, they weren't able to get to, to rising and really cause him uh any troubles there. I mean, Corey Foreman gets the sack, but that again is is one where he made move, made a second move, and then was able to get to him. It wasn't like it was an initial beat. Uh, you know, those DBs are out there for a long time, and you know they got hosed last night. Um, you know, they got they got worked by the, the wide receivers, and that's not a wide receiver core that you look at and go, "Wow, that's that's a really talented group." No, there's a weakness for Utah. Yeah, it was the guy's first catch. <laughs> was a touchdown on the on the flea flicker, I believe, and then Parks's his touchdown was his first touchdown yeah. of this of his career. I mean, they have good tight
3: ends, but you didn't expect yeah. the receivers to kind of torch and, USC. And that And D.O. Way.
2: Howard is a guy that you know, high on it going into USC from from Westlake and transfers to Oklahoma now transfers to Utah, but he hasn't really done yeah, UCLA, anything. But yeah, yeah, no, from UCLA to Oklahoma now to Utah. Yeah. Um, so but he hasn't done much. And he's the one that he, that was kind of the game changing play to me that, that throw, uh, it was third and seven. They throw the ball t- down the left side to, to Theo Howard gets behind Jaden Williams. The safety is not over the top. I don't know where the safety was on that play either. Uh, and that, that gave them life because they hadn't really done anything. They had that one drive and, and they were able to, you know, catch USC a little bit sleeping with the, the quick play to, to Keithy, to get in around on the end around, but USC shut them down the very next drive. And, they weren't really doing anything on that next drive, and suddenly they throw that pass, and suddenly that opened everything up. The yeah. offense opened up for them, and you know USC wasn't getting the pressure, so now it's one on one coverages, and they get. I think that just gave them more confidence. And I said this going in that we didn't know what we'd see from Utah, and if USC could have went out and you know just attacked them early, which they had a chance? So if they score on those two chances in the red zone, and then they were up ten to seven, so it would have been twenty one to seven instead of ten to seven. Maybe Utah kind of is like, woe is me. The yep. world is against me. You know, everything that's happened the last two weeks, and they don't respond. But I think they're still in the game right there. And then suddenly they get a big play, and they're like, oh, okay, let's go. And that's because USC just hasn't had that killer instinct to be able to put away an opponent for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I think it, another thing that came back to haunt them in this game, they had an opportunity if they were crisp early, especially in the red zone. Suddenly, this is a different game. And that's what Graham Harrell said after the game. He's like, oh, we got to do better in the red zone. We got to do better in that middle section, which are all true things. But they but it's don't. like ha- week after week. It's but, like- yeah, they don't yeah. have the answers for it. What is yeah. going to be? And it was interesting that Keonta Ingram uh, after the game uh, told Keeley, he said, we've got to get more creative uh, on the offensive side. So. You know, and I asked, uh, you asked Dante about Dante that. Yeah, what do you have to say that? about that, Chuck? And he said, well, they're doing some different things. And you saw the end around to Drake London, the little pop pass to him uh, to pick up a first down. You've seen some different things. He said that one of the things is, hey, maybe when we get down, we kind of go back to revert to what we know best and what we've done in the past. And, you know, it, it's interesting. People have brought it out, especially because Utah ran that flea flicker. But they're like, when's the last time USC ran a trick play? You know, trick plays you know can be something that just really get players excited. So that might be something you want to add to the Arsenal. I know that's not in Graham Harrell's, you know, wheelhouse normally. He likes to run to green grass, you know, and the the system will work, but I think they got to mix it up again and and I think that's one of the areas where they got to do some di- things different.
1: Chuck and you also asked Dante about USC's offensive line play. That was an issue that they struggled with, especially in the second half. What do you have to say about that?
2: Yeah, in the second half, uh, you know that was the thing. USC moved the ball really well in the first, you know, the first three drives of the game, and then got behind. And he said, "Well, we became one-dimensional in the second half." Well, my issue is they they go away from the run. They saw the same thing in the the Oregon State game where they're running the ball pretty well, but then they fall behind. They're like, "Well, we got to pass now. We're we're behind. We have to pass." Yeah. In the third quarter, with ten minutes or eight minutes or six minutes or four minutes, there's still time to run the ball. You know, you get down by three scores; it's still college football. The, the you know with the clock stopping on first downs, you still can stay more balanced than they have done in these games when they've fallen behind. And you know, Utah was able to get all those pressures, like I talked about. You know the the offensive line, you know when they were able to when Utah was able to pin their ears back, they were constantly getting pressure. And you know, USC did not not play well in the second half as as far as the offensive line there.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, as far as this defense shotgun. What did you see? I mean, I know you did your your quick rewatch. What is the main problem here? Why are we seeing this at this point of the season?
2: I mean, the biggest issue that's been a constant, you know, for the last month now is tackling. You know, they've got guys that are there in the hole at times and you turn a 1-yard gain into a 5-yard gain, it changes second and 5 versus second and 9, changes what play call you're getting. That's a big part of it. But again, it's, you know, some of the areas where they they, they don't have that true nose tackle. So he can't, you know, they don't have that guy, and maybe Maximus Gibbs becomes that guy. You know, I was surprised we didn't see a little bit more of him. But to take up two blockers so that Drake Jackson's getting that one on one and Tuli is getting a one on one, and then they they just weren't getting enough pressure um, on the quarterback that game. So when you don't get any pressure and you're already playing, you know, in man to man coverage, and maybe you have a, a single high safety, but there's just opportunities there. And as Dante said, he was asked about Chris Steele and. It's true, but Chris Dill has not, has not played up to his potential. Yeah. He did not play well last night. But it is true what Dante said is that if you're a cornerback, you can play 60 plays perfect, but if you have two or three where they're bad, that's what people are going to talk about. He said it's a unique position, and it's, that's true, um, and especially when you're on an island like that. You, know, you can play great. You know, If you're a wide receiver and you play great and you don't run a couple routes really well, you kind of slack off or you, you have a drop in the game, but you still have ten catches for hundred yards. Like people are going to be like that's a good game for you, right? Right. right. Not so much with a cornerback, and that, that's the difference. Like if you're an offensive lineman, it's similar. You know, you can have sixty-five great blocks, but if you have two bad ones and you give up sacks, you, those positions are, are looked at differently. But you understand that now. The difference was the offensive line. Usually, you get a little bit more help because you have a tight end coming down, a running back chip. With the way USC's playing defense, those cornerbacks don't have help. Yeah. Uh, and but. They, they're up to the task. They can be up to the task at least. They haven't been consistent with it. Isaac Taylor Stewart, people really trashed him after that Stanford game. He didn't play well in the Stanford game. He's been their best cornerback, and he's been really good, actually. Outside of that Stanford game, he's given up a handful of catches at best. Uh, the the completion percentage against him is under 50% outside that, that Stanford game. Um, but – you can't have just one cornerback do it. You got to have both guys do yeah. it. And then when your reserves come in there and you're trusting Joshua Jackson and Jaden Williams, they got to continue to make plays too. Jaden Williams has been really good this season, but you give up a big play there, and suddenly that gives them some momentum, and that's college football. You know, you get a little bit of one big play can spark something special. And I think that happened for Utah. That gave them confidence, especially after everything they'd gone through. They were like, okay, this is it. Let, let's go. We can do this against USC. And they, they did. Mm-hmm. A little, I
3: don't know if it's a hot take or whatever, but. Real quick, Keely, like yeah. football, I mean, at the core, the it's fundamentals, it's, it's a blocking and tackling kind of sport. And it's great that Dante Williams comes in and tries to, uh, you know, add more responsibility for people, keep people accountable, uh, try to you know, ratchet up the physicality of practice, having an extra day of pads. But this is still a byproduct of six or seven years of Clay Helton running the team. And it's, yeah. you know, I had a source from one of the USC's opponent tell me in the Coliseum Tunnel, like, they were soft. And I feel like that's all I can come back to It's like, yeah, they could have tackled better here. They could have made a better play here. They could play in the red zone a little bit better here. But to me, this is more about, this is a pretty soft team. And I don't think it's something, if Dante Williams was the best interim coach in the world, I don't think he would, this would be something he would be able to fix until the off season until you kind of had a whole off season of what, how you want to structure strength and conditioning and off season workouts and all of that. I feel like this is sort of just going to be a product of what you've already seen, that it's just not going to be that tough of a team and I'm not saying that the players aren't capable of it or the coaches aren't capable of it, but that's just not what the mentality has been. It's not a switch that you can just flip and like, yeah. now we're physical. Now we're going to go around and get, we've seen three times that they've got their butts whooped in the Coliseum by guys that definitely weren't ranked as high in the rankings as they were. But the other team, if you just look at it, you don't know anything about football or what the rules are. You're like, that team looks like it's pushing this team around. And that's what's, to me, the fundamental core of what's going on here. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I don't think this is on Dante Williams. I think this is just no, the no. way that the, the program has been built. And that's why you have to tear it down to the studs and start again. And, uh, you know, I thought there's enough talent here that Dante Williams could get this team to go through and, and win a bunch of games, but the way it started, I, I'm not very optimistic for the second half of the season because this is you could get on a roll early on against some of the weaker opponents on your schedule. Now you're going to have to get on a roll against some of the tougher opponents on the schedule, and I, that's a tall test. Not that they can't do it, but it's a, it's a tall order right now, and maybe yeah. they can do a little bit in the bye week, but to me this is just more about fundamentally how this team is built they're just a team that's getting pushed around.
1: Yeah, the analogy that popped into my head last night was that, you know, it's like when you have a really bad cold, you get over like the threshold, and that was firing Clay Helton, but you still have the lingering effects where you're not 100% yeah. healthy yet. You like go to the grocery store and you're like, that kind of over I overdid it there. Yeah. That's kind of the symptoms that you still <laughs> yeah. okay. as the symptoms you're seeing from the Clay Helton era, it's not going to be fixed like you said, Ryan, just because you made that fire. It's going to have to be a-, a rebuild in that sense.
3: Yeah, and I've heard some announcers say you can make some tweaks here. Like, no, there's this is no tweaks. This is- is you know what's the the implosion thing where they just blow up the building and it just kind of collapses on itself and just clear out the debris and like start again like that's what you have to do um it's unfortunate it's a you know proud program there's a lot of history and stuff but it really was it was running to the ground like you can't have three losses like this in a row like that's unbelievable like i don't think paul hackett that would have happened to him like This is just crazy of what we've seen from USC.
1: And we're seeing that from USC alumni, the football players on social media. They're kind of speechless at what they're seeing because at least the USC teams, when they were bad, it would be close losses. I don't think they're used to seeing just blowouts at home.
3: Yeah, Oregon State hadn't won in the Coliseum in 71 years. Is that correct? 61 61 years. I'm sorry. Off a decade. Uh, Utah hadn't won in Los Angeles since the Coliseum was built in 1932 or 23 or whatever it was yeah i think 1923 yes um that's a long time uh so to have like two of those records be broken in you know two weeks like that's not usc football for sure and it's i'm not going to look at this tape and go oh yeah like they need a better red zone percentage and then they'd be fine like no like this is this is just more about what are you coming out there and doing? Like, this isn't some little tweak. This is something that's a big problem. And the problem is you've seen it week after week after week. And Dante Williams, his credit, was trying to make a change, saying, hey, we got to make this like a business trip. We're going to change our, our pregame ritual stuff on Fridays, and we're going to go through a walkthrough at a high school. And I get, like, I, I like that. I applaud that. Try to mix things up. It had zero effect. It didn't, it didn't change anything. So there's some other big things that need to be changed, and maybe they can't be. Over the course of a week of practice, trying to get ready for a game,
2: USC. What have they done so much since Pete Carroll? They've relied on their talent. Yes, they don't have as much talent now. That's also true. Like Kenai Malga is a great complementary linebacker. You know, if he's not the, if you have a five star guy beh- beside him, he's the guy who's going to do all the dirty work and you know get in there and thump some guys. He shouldn't be your star linebacker though. You know, and that's the issue. Like the up the middle, right there, they're having issues with their linebackers and not having the nose tackle. And you know, Jacob Lichtenstein playing at, at at defensive tackle, and he's more of a defensive end body. They just there's issues, and we've seen on the offensive line, same thing. You know, if you could, if you have. Even if it's Zach Banner, you, you know, uh, you know, if you have a big body guy like that, and you just push and you know work on people, and and that's what actually Utah did, because they they had a kid on there that came in. I can't uh, pronounce his name off the top of my head, but he was like six eight and three hundred thirty pounds. He reminded me of Zach Banner. He just leaned on people, lean on, yeah. lean on them. USC doesn't have that right now. You know, it's these lean bodies, and you know, well, they're supposed to be athletic. Well, to get out and you know, do some outside zone stuff. But USC doesn't do a great job of getting to the second level with their blocks on the offensive line or on the outside, the the tight ends or the wide receivers. There was that one play where Drake London, they they tossed it out to him for a screen, uh, and was nearly picked off, nearly a pick six. Michael Trigg watches the guy almost make the pick six and then he turns and watches the guy trying to make a tackle and he didn't block it. it when that happens that guy goes flying for it. he takes that chance that risk there once Drake London catches it if you get a blocker there that's a huge play potentially yeah. you know 15 20 yards instead it's a 7 or 8 yard and that's the case with USC too often right now is their successful plays aren't as successful as they could be because they're missing that one block you know they're missing this or they're missing that and it's, that's the details that everyone keeps talking about but those details aren't being fixed they're saying oh, that's a detail we got to fix that, and maybe they fix this one detail, but there's another one and another one that they, that they let slide up. So, it, in part of that is because they aren't as talented as they previously could be, so they can't just make up for it with talent like they they have been able to do in the past. And I think that that is part of it. They are just not as talented of a, a team, a program right now as they were a few years ago. You know, even when it was you know similar issues. The penalties and all those type things, they could play through it because they had more stars and more talent on the on the roster.
3: Yeah, like for Kenai Malga, great, but like you had an Oscar Lua back in the day, but you also had the Ray Malaluga coming in, and mm-hmm. take, like that may be like the Palier Nootote, who's no longer with the team. But you you had that like five star guy that maybe there was a veteran that's been around a long time and is capable of making plays, but you also have the guy that's going to take somebody's head off and is the recruit that everybody wanted. There's less of those guys. Uh, I still think it's a talented roster. But there's there, – yeah, there's a lot of problems uh, with this team as as we're
2: seeing. I'm, I <laughs> the, mean, the similar – since we're talking about linebackers, the class that Cameron Smith came in with, you know, he wasn't the highly uh, – the, the vaunted guy in that, that group, you know, because they had Porter Gustin, you had Ossa Messina, and there was one more that I'm, I'm blanking on right now off the top oh, of head. Oh, yeah. But there were three, three guys that were in five-star contention – uh, Justin, um, John, John Houston. Houston. John Houston, yeah. You know, he's a five star. The other two guys, you know, were five stars depending on, you know, composite versus, you know, 24 7. Cameron Smith was the lowest one, but he was the guy that did everything. Yeah. And then you can put Porter Augustine on the edge. And, you know, so th- that's the difference is, you know, they're relying on the guy that would be Cameron, Cameron Smith was the fourth rated guy in that class, that linebacker class. And he became the playmaker, they're relying on, you know, the guy that's way on the bottom to be their playmaker right now. So it, it's it's not they just don't have the same talent that they, they did before. And I think that's part of the issue that they're still having the same yeah. issues, but they don't have as much talent now.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're relying on the talent, but it's not as strong. And yeah. that's yeah, that's certainly you, but you shouldn't be relying on the talent. Like but when you had ridiculous talent, you could rely on it and still be pretty good. And now you can't, I guess. Yeah. That's a good summary.
1: I'm going to jump back into some of the news we got tonight. We got to talk to Dante Williams. He said that basically, uh, Michael Triggs first MRI was inconclusive. Uh, they do know that it's not a broken bone and it's not an ACL tear, but they don't know anything further than that. He's going to get a second MRI. So once they know, we'll, we'll be updated and be sure to update you guys. Shock and I know that obviously affected the team to see a guy like Trigg. I mean, we've talked about it on shows and on podcasts, how much the team just loves Trigg. Uh, you got to talk to Malcolm Epps about not only his first, uh, touchdown as a Trojan, but just seeing, uh, His little brother, if you will, go down like that. What do you have to say?
2: Yeah, he said that that touchdown was for Trig. You know, he said that uh, when he scored that was that wasn't his touchdown. That was that was for Trig. And and he said that he talked to him a little bit afterwards. Uh, Corey Foreman talked to him and asked him the same thing, and he said, you know, when Trig came back to the sideline, he said that you know that they're going to be there for him and everything. It looked like a very bad injury. The positive news, it sounds like, from what Dante Williams told us, and again. Take a little bit of a grain of salt with what Dante Williams tells us. Uh, as far as injuries, he's been you know, pretty coy with it. But he said it's not an ACL, so that's that's huge news. Now, it could still be an MCL. It could be meniscus. It could be anything else. Um, but the fact that it's not an ACL, when you first saw it, and I mentioned this to Ryan earlier, and Keeley didn't know what I was talking about, but y- you thought, like, oh, that could be a Willis McGahee type injury yeah. where he just tore everything up in his knee, similar to um, the UCF quarterback that's now at Florida State, McKenzie. McKinsey Milton where you know there could be serious damage to other things besides just a, the ligament so that's positive news I think for USC obviously inconclusive they still got stuff to do and again that, that could, if since it was inconclusive it could still come back as an ACL I would I guess, but Dante Williams said it's not that, so yeah. we're going to go with that as positive news, and you know hope that everything turns out well for him. Uh, we had a couple questions about who gets his reps. I think Epps is you know the guy that gets those split out reps. He caught a touchdown, so. yeah, and they need him to be able to produce more consistently. You know he did have a ball that he could have caught that went off his hands that went over the DB, um, but he's a big target. And that's what it was on that one play. Keaton Slovis rolls out, and it's like, hey, let's find the big guy. And same thing on the two point conversion. He just threw it up, and he, there was three defenders around him. It's two point conversion. It's all or nothing, anyway. So let's throw it to the six six guy and see him go up and get it. And that's what uh, Epps did on that play. So we'll be interesting to see if he can continue to, to get a little to progress in. Uh, because remember, he missed all that time in fall camp, yeah. so he's yeah. still learning and, and getting used to the system and everything, and so
1: Already I'm going to jump into some callers. Our queue is full, and then I'll get into some questions after that. Let's go to our first caller on the line. It is John from Glendora. Hello, you're live on television. Tunnel-
0: tunnel All right, guys, Brian's not going to roast me tonight, because I think we're going to agree on this one. That team last night, or Saturday, sorry, we saw them get rolled over. I'm tired of going to games and seeing players give up. That is not USC football. I'm so disappointed. Nothing on Dante. He's doing the best he can with the situation he has. But this is the administration's fault for hanging on to Clay too long. Thanks, guys.
3: Uh, thanks for the question. I, You know, it's funny. He calls in. I think I agree with him most of the time. I might have roasted him once. And then uh Maybe that's he, his that? You know, that's how we He's remember a little him. PTSD from a roasting. I'm sorry. I can get a little mean. I'm sorry. He roasts
1: mean. a lot of people. It's like a thought, Ryan badge of honor. I just
3: like roast, you know, whatever. Um, So here's that, I mean, it's a debate and we see this on the Parastyle on uscfootball.com, the the message board, hopefully you guys are jumping on there. Um, And, you know, remember having conversations when Mike Bone and Brandon Sosnick came in and, uh, you know, finding out the reasons why that they weren't going to get rid of Clay Hilton at the time. And it was pretty baffling just to know how bad you know, not just Pat Hayden, but then Lynn Swan screwed this up by giving him the extension and all that stuff. And I think at that point, you have to make a choice where the university is going through horrible sanctions, not sanctions, horrible um, uh, scandals and lawsuits and all the stuff. And that's a lot of money. It's not athletic to budget money. But then you have to like, you have a coach that's not getting anyone in trouble. He's just losing. The fans hate him. And you have a new president and they're like, you know, you know, I, you could see why the thought would be, hey, we just got to keep them around for a while. Just a couple of years, it'll be fine. Well, then the pandemic hits and it's like, then you can't get rid of them. then. And um, then you have to get rid of them two games into a season. And now you've pretty much thrown away another season. I, I'd be curious to go back and if Mike Bone and Brandon Sossner could, you know, knowing what they know now, if they would have made the firing. My guess would be, yeah, like I, I got the reasons for not firing Clay Helton at the time. But the way, you know, if you didn't know a pandemic was coming and who knows, a new coach and the, you know, they will also say they weren't ready to bring in a new coach. They needed to like get everything else around the football program ready too. But I think you could have done that in conjunction with bringing in a new coach and maybe that coach would be part of it. So I'd be curious to see. I mean, sometimes you make a big decision like that and you just stand by, it, you know, and yeah, maybe they would. But I think, you know, I think I said this at the time, uh, many times, like, I get the reasons why. You still need to pull the trigger. You still need to fire and figure out a way. Um, the way this is shaping out, I think that was probably still the correct move. So I, I have no problem with the fans doing it. Just understand that they, the athletic department had reasons, and there were good reasons, but they weren't necessarily, like, you know, there was still a debate, I would think. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I To me, that was, it wasn't... You should have got rid of them when you could, because now it's just like a mess.
2: It's easy to spend somebody else's money. True. Yeah, I, I love that. Come on. So, I mean... <laughs> the talk of how much it would cost for to buy everyone out plus hire a new staff and to hire a name that you know would bring the cachet that you're looking for ton of money it was going to be a ton so yeah. you know it's easy to say yeah they definitely should have done that
3: but but knowing boy, how much money you're losing now it probably would have still been the the, the, the better risk- pocketbook you know true decision
2: but those type of moves come from boosters paying the buyouts and stuff so were there those lined up did they try to get it to, who knows so uh, yeah. you know th- it, that's the hard part of it we're actually I mean we're seeing the results of it yeah you know so there's no debate about whether it was the right move or not now if you could have done it you should have done it yes okay um, and, you know and, and that's obvious you know th- they're in this place they are because of what happened in 2019 and also in 2017, the extension and then not firing in 2019, you're just getting the residuals of it now, yeah. And you know it's going to take someone to come in, and it, the unfortunate thing is, it looks more and more likely like it's not a quick fix.
1: Yeah.
3: I see. I still have optimism that it can be a quicker fix than most. But I know some fans are just like, "It's going to take a generation not to a, get back. It's Like I don't buy that. Not but, a
2: generation, but maybe like two years, because you have to get talent at those positions where they're in need, and how quickly can they do it? And depending on when you can hire a coach, can you do that in this recruiting class? Because yeah. if not, now that's another year where you're waiting. Now it's going to be two more years. Now maybe John Davis is a guy, and Julian Simon is a guy in the linebacker, and maybe Max Gibbs stays on the defensive side. Maybe you pull in a, a true freshman. You know, Maybe there's there's those opportunities, and they can be a little bit of a, a, a stopgap. But what happens when you get one injury? What happens when you get two injuries? And suddenly you're, you know, what happens when you have a senior that you were expecting to be able to play or a highly touted freshman, and those guys aren't available like Solomon uh, Tulialapupu and Jordan Iaseffa? You know, those could be USC's linebackers right now, but yeah. injuries happen. So, you know, how long will it take? That's going to be a big question, I think, uh, and it, it could be longer than people think.
1: Yeah. All right, let's go to our next caller in the queue, I believe it is Andrew from San Diego. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hey guys, love the show. Thanks for doing it. I just have a two-part question. Number one, what's the easier fix, offense or defense? And then do you guys think the results
3: would be different if Clay Helton was still the head coach? Thank you. Have a great night. Andrew, good questions. Yeah, for me, I mean, I think you can fix the offense when you've got, you know, Jackson Dart or Miller Moss, you know, are you talking about this season or maybe for the He's future? He's talking about this season. Yeah, so, I mean, you got Keith Slovis, you got Drake London, you got Keontae Ingram. Like, yeah, I think the offense, you can do some stuff. Like, there's – I mean, USC, and their three losses at home, scored 28 against Stanford, 27 against Oregon State, and 26 against Utah. And that's having been down – 29 against Stanford in the fourth quarter, 25 against Oregon State in the fourth quarter, 25 against Utah in the fourth quarter. Like they basically scored as many points as they were down by in these games in late in the game. And th- I, you, this is too talented of an offense to score 25 points, 26. That just it, that doesn't make much sense to me. I think you can fix the offense um, faster, but I don't know. What do you think?
2: You would think so. Um, it hasn't happened. I, I think there's been some positive steps on the offensive line from when clay mcguire was hired obviously did not play well in that second half but i don't know that they're going to make those changes because they could have already done it they could correct those small things already it seems like they could Um, the biggest thing for me is there are positives in the first quarter it seems like every game but you get to the third quarter Oh, crap. Here here comes the other team, and, you know, those three losses, uh, I think the, think the stat you, you tweeted was it's 42-3 to 3 USC has been outscored in the third quarter of yeah. those three losses at home. Jordan
3: Moore said that on the uh, radio broadcast. So against Stanford, Oregon State, and Utah, once the third quarter rolls around, and remember, USC had a great third quarter against Washington State. 42-3 to 3 they've been outscored in the third quarter in those games. That, that's where you're, I mean, you're down already, and then you just get, that's where uh, you're losing turns to blowout.
2: Yeah, USC was up 10 7. And Utah scored 28 points, 28 unanswered points in a span of 10 minutes of game time. Yeah. Over between the the, fir- the last four minutes of the first half and the first six minutes of the second half. I mean, that you're never going to win a game and you get up 28 straight points in 10 minutes. I don't, you know, maybe if you're in Texas, Oklahoma, you know, 52, 51 that type crazy. of Ole Miss, Arkansas type of games, maybe. Um, but. That's the thing. They're not making – and then Dante Williams was asked about it today, the third quarter issues, and he said we've got to make better adjustments um, and everyone's got to do something a little bit better. That's all true, but it starts with the coordinators.
3: Yeah, that that just, That wasn't a great answer for me. Keely, yes. you, you answer this part. What's that? The second part. Clay Helton, if he's still the head coach, is the record the same?
1: I was thinking about that. I was actually thinking, do you think USC comes back against Wazoo if Clay Helton's still the head coach? I, I, that's
3: exactly what I thought. Like – it could be like I think the record's the same or maybe worse
1: I see and I I don't fully I I can't predict that because I do think this team was able to fight to a certain extent under Clay Helton there was something that he was able to do but would it be this bad in this season where the players know the writing's on the wall you know what I mean I I don't know at this point
3: I mean USA was down 29 to Stanford in the the fourth quarter, like, Holy yeah. cow. Like that is like, I don't think Clay Helton's fixing that. A you know, that they were favored by 70- 17 over. Of course yeah. he's
2: not fixing it. He was the coach. Oh yeah. He game. was the coach
3: then. Duh. <laughs> he didn't fix that. Um, uh, but then I- they bounced back
2: against Washington state. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure they do. And the thing is they have fought for Clay Helton previous years, but this year, the, the one opportunity we saw that didn't happen. And I think that's more possibly the symptom of this team, um, and just the culture that this team has as as, as a whole yeah. um, and that's what I think that Dante Williams and that staff are trying to fight against and he was asked about it today how do you keep the players from you know just basically shutting it off um and that's an interesting question how do you not lose the players when everyone knows you're the interim everyone that's on the staff maybe two people get kept most of the staff is going to be gone you know if you're a player do you listen to those people and that's very difficult. And the one thing is Dante, and he, he mentioned this, and he didn't say exactly this, but he has respect to the players. The players respect him. Yeah. And if, as long as he holds that respect, then I think they'll still play for him. But it, that's a dangerous situation, and that's why you see some interim jobs. It, it go, Usually when someone takes over as interim, it goes one of two ways, up or down, because you either fight for that person, everyone rallies, or it's like, we know this guy's not going to be here. Why am I listening to this person? I'm going to make sure that I'm you know, 100% healthy. I'm not playing through anything. you know, All those type of things that you need players to do. Well,
1: where? this is the discussion Shocken and I had last night when we were walking around the Coliseum. Oh. I was saying, you know, is this just the product of having a, a week three, start a week three firing and these players aren't really tethered to anything? You know what I mean? There's no like anchor point to rallying around. And yes, they respect Dante Williams, but like Shaka just pointed out, at the end of the day, they kind of know where this is all headed, right?
3: I think you have to look at, like, what are the motivating factors? And if you're if you're a coach, I think you're, I mean, obviously you're coaching for your job. Now, if you think at this point, you're like, we're all getting fired. It doesn't matter. It's still building your resume for whatever the next job is going to be, you know, like, and for the players, you know, you you want to get, you know, Drake London could set record. They pulled him out of the game when he could have set the single game catch record. He was one away, which was weird um, that they would pull him out there. But I get, I mean, I thought they should have pulled up about everyone. Are players going, is it Drake London who's like, you know, could could win the Bolitnikov. He could, uh, be you know, represented USC for the Heisman Trophy ceremony if he keeps going the way he's going. And I got probably too many losses for that to happen. But he's he can win some postseason awards. Does he want to shut things down? Do any players say like, you know what, this just isn't going in the right direction? You know, if you you lose the Notre Dame, maybe it's a blowout fashion. You're under 500. That you, Dante Williams runs the risk of. I mean, they're there could be a risk of players just saying, you know what, I'm out. And then things really start to spiral out of control. So
2: and it won't be, you could
3: lose it at this point. You it, gotta, it
2: won't necessarily be like an opt-out like it was last year with COVID and everything. and be like uh, Or some of the players that opt out for the draft. Not necessarily like that. But for just, the bowl games, we've seen players do yeah, that. You just opt out for the rest of the year. Like, yeah, I'm going to shut it down. Players aren't going to opt out for the rest of the year. They might have a nagging injury, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, my ankle is still bothering me, Coach. Yeah. And I'm gonna go
3: play video games. Are you
2: gonna push through those things? And that's gonna—that's the hard thing for a coaching staff. That you know that they don't. There's no bite behind it. Yeah. You know they don't have any teeth. You're so. not gonna play
3: next year. I oh, guess what you're not gonna be here. So um, yeah, that's and but, but I would not blame any. If a player doesn't want to play, like I have no problem with that. Like this has been a weird. I have a problem. There would be it. a weird season. Like you know, your coach gets fired game two. You're losing games. If you want to protect yourself and just want to kind of wait and reset and stuff, I got no problem with that. Do
2: you, are you going to the university just to get an education, or are you going to be a football player and hopefully that becomes your career? Because if you want to be in the NFL, then you better be putting the tape on right now too. When things are bad, that's when the NFL wants to see – you because know, you get drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're going to say, I'm opting out this year until you guys get better. Well, you're getting paid then, so – they're getting paid right now. Well, not really. They get a stipend and they can be NIL, but you don't get any NIL if you're opting out. I promise right. you that.
1: Yeah. So, just to be clear here, Ryan, are you advocating or at least uh, saying it's okay for players to basically quit on the season? I want to make sure your point is clear because that's what it sounds like you're suggesting. No,
3: I'm not advocating for that. Okay. I'm sure. saying if a player said, you know what, like I got a chance to be drafted, I don't feel like I'm put in a a safe situations out there. We just don't, you know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want, you know, injuries are just freak stuff. But if the if you don't feel like, you know, there's just too much, too many cooks. There's just not sure what's going on. um, I don't feel like this is the right thing for me. I'm going to sit the rest of the season out, nagging injury or whatever it is. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, oh, you're a quitter or whatever. Like this. You know, the adults failed these kids, right? Like, the, there's a lot of adults that made a lot of bad decisions over the last several years that put USC in this position right now. It's not the kids' fault. It's the adults that were supposed to be taking care of these guys from the athletic directors that were making wrong decisions and all that. There's been a lot of that stuff. So if a player's like, I, I, you know what, I think it would be great when you get a new coach in and there's a whole new culture and new stuff going on, cool. But I don't want to do this. There's six more games. I'm out for this one. I I, w- I just wouldn't say, okay, you're a terrible player or that's that's bad that you're quitting on the team. I, I just wouldn't say that.
1: I just don't think that's a realistic situation. You know? What do you mean? Like, I, I just don't think a player would quit like that.
3: We've seen players. collectively. Like, we've seen players. I'm not saying, like, this would be a team-wide thing. I'm just, like, we've seen players opt out of bowl games. They're like, yeah, it's not a great bowl game. So, basically, it's like the there's not going to be. What am I going to get out of playing in this bowl game? Like I'm going to go play in the Liberty Bowl or some something, and I'd rather just go get ready for the NFL draft. Well, if you're like, hey, we're three and three, just lost the Notre Dame, we're not going to make the championship game. Uh, I just feel like I'm putting myself out there to be a pincushion. Like I'm going to opt out for the last five games. Like, I if a player's going to say that, I don't see that big of a difference between opting out for a bowl game. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm not. I try to be on the player side.
1: Alrighty, let's jump into another caller uh, in the that, queue.
2: I think that says a lot about your character, if that's what you do.
1: Let's go to Cameron from uh, fr- San Francisco, I believe. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
4: Hey, Ryan. Keely, Shotgun. Cameron from Frisco, Texas. Not oh, San Francisco, my bad, so my bad. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So I got two really quick questions. One of them, Ryan kind of mentioned it about, you know... Postseason bowl eligibility. So basically, will USC be bowl eligible by the end of the season? Where will USC get three wins possible to become bowl eligible to get at least six wins? Because since we're already halfway through the season, three and three, where are we going to get at least six wins? And then my second question is uh, after week six is matchups with, college, with all these college football teams, which coaches can we eliminate from the coaching carousel for USC's possible head coach? My thoughts, Kalani Sitake from BYU. With their really undisciplined turnover heavy game over Boise State where they lost at home. So, and also since Kalani Tataki just signed an extension back in August with BYU, I don't think he's ever going to be leaving there. He loves BYU, loves the fans, loves the university, loves the football team. I don't think he's leaving anytime soon.
3: Thanks, Cameron, for the Thanks, call. Thanks, Cameron. One of the things, I'm not, this is not roasting you, Cameron, but this is one of the pet peeves I sort of have when people, and we get this on the parasol all the time. Um, you know, James Franklin's a candidate, like, he just lost a game. He's not, He's out. You know, it's like BYU, like, lost, like, most teams kept everyone this year. Like, everyone came back. BYU lost a ton. And they came out and they beat a bunch of good teams. They're 3-0 and in the Pac-12. They lose one game at home. Yeah, they had a clunker, you know, against Boise State. I don't eliminate him from contention because they had one bad game. So just looking at a, pro, a coach like, oh, he lost a game. He shouldn't coach at USC. Like, I don't... It's just too... Like, you got to look at the whole resume. You know, like, do you like his whole resume? The one game he had that there was a clunker. I'm not going to, like, eliminate him from contention for doing that. Um, because James Franklin lost to Clay Elton? That, that's that's the reason why you shouldn't look at James... No, no. That bugs me. Um, as far as bowl eligibility, uh, I don't know if you want to assume that USC doesn't get a win against Notre Dame on the road. They've been better on the road. Maybe they do. But the last five games you have... Arizona, who's on a 16 or 17-game losing streak. They haven't won a game in over two calendar years. Uh, At Arizona State, who looks really good. At Cal, who looks bad. Um, UCLA, who's been... Who looks really good and then really bad. True, which a lot of (laughs) of these teams are. And then BYU uh, at home. So, I mean, I could see USC winning four of those games potentially, but I could see them losing four of them pretty easy. I think... If you lose to Arizona at home, that's a major problem. Like, that that's, you got to win in the Coliseum against Arizona. Like, if that
2: happens, Ryan, I'm done
3: for the rest of the year. Yeah, just, <laughs> we're going to all
2: hit the transfer portal. Um, I'm sitting down the rest of the year. I'm, you know, it's just not a safe environment for me anymore. <laughs> yeah. You Our know.
1: mentions will not be safe. That's for sure. <laughs> True.
2: Yeah. You don't
3: get paid. That's fine. Yeah, we're with uh Wait, but, I thought uh, you said it was fine for the players. Dude. That's for them. Like, they, have, they signed a year scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> you're month to month, baby. We're getting you out of here. So at Cal, Cal's not very, like – they're just so bad. Like their defense is worse. I think you have two pretty sure wins. And then you just have to win one more. So Oh, just. Oh. It's not going to be super easy.
1: That's the thing. I, I said this last week, but, like, I don't know what the standard is for this team. Like I can't predict because you don't know what which team you're going to get each week, you know?
3: I didn't even – to be fair, I didn't even think about, like, bowl eligibility. Like I – before going into this game, I was like, man, it'll be so cool to go see the first Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. Like, this is going to be awesome, you know? Like, I really had, like, thoughts of, oh, yeah, and, like, obviously, that's gone. I might go anyway just to, to cover it, but, like, not because USC is going to be there. But I think it was Peter Arbogast that mentioned it on the radio broadcast, like, in the third or fourth quarter about bowl eligibility, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's true. Like, th- this team might not make a bowl game. Like, holy – like, that was not something I was thinking of.
1: Shotgun, your thoughts?
2: It's not going to be easy, but I think they will get those three wins. Yeah, Arizona and Cal, I think are two that they definitely should win. And Arizona, if they don't win, the whole—I mean, USC almost lost
3: Arizona last year, and they're—you know—that was like when they had like eleven game losing. But it's at home;
2: it's homecoming. They better win at home. They should win that one, yeah.
1: Alrighty, I'm going to put us into rapid fire for callers because we still have callers. We do? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, Our next one is Dr. K, who called in last week. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision.
0: Hi, it's Dr. K, Salt Lake City. Um, I have a comment and then I have a question specifically for Ryan. Um, We've been USC fans since our son went to USC from 2010 to 2014. Uh, We've enjoyed the show ever since. Um, we've seen Utah run so many trick plays that have literally and always confused USC, especially when they played here in Utah, and that's because of Whittingham. And, you know, he was very well prepared at all of USC's weaknesses. Um, what was interesting in watching the game that the producer obviously at Fox uh, had more shots of Orlando during the confused defense all the time Um, He was just out-coached, as he was with Oregon State and Stanford. Now, here's my question for Ryan. Ryan, I'd like to know where you were from 1996 to 2001 when all the observers and everybody were basically saying that USC's football days were, you know, their national dominance were, you know, were fading. The football team's record at that time was 37 and 35, second worst over any five-year span in history second to only a 500 record 56 to 61. Where were you? What were you doing? And what was it like during that period of time? We had a friend uh,
3: who went to school that time and just said they had a lousy team. Uh, thanks uh, Dr. K for that one. So I just graduated with my master's from USC and I was working. That's when I started the website. So 90, 1996 is when I really started uscfootball.com, bought the domain name in 97, uh, you know, I think the John Robinson era had come to an end. Now, there were still some fun stuff. You know, the the Rose Bowl, you know, that the came off a Cotton Bowl win with Keyshawn Johnson. So there were some fun kind of times heading into there. Um, but you were, like, in the midst of two streaks with UCLA and Notre Dame. You weren't beating your rivals. So, yeah, there were some, some problems. And then, of course, the Paul Hackett, you know, when that started, um, he was just not very popular. And as the site was, ga- you know, gaining popularity, uscfootball.com, the university, well, Paul Hackett didn't like there's the internet thing. He was like, there's the internet thing. The people are like talking, you know, crap about me and saying bad things about me. Like they I met with their lawyers, like literally met with the general counsel at USC about the domain name they were looking at, but they didn't really have a, like the up. But that was because Paul Hackett didn't like that there was, you know, people talking about their football team like that. So, um, but it was, you know, obviously you came through it. Okay. with uh, With Pete Carroll, but it was definitely an interesting time um there was some fun stuff early on with the j-rob and then after that it was pretty crappy but then you had some stud players like troy palmalo and and carson palmer but they just weren't kind of you know they that streak to oregon state ended i believe like in 2000 or whatever it was um you know they th- that was like the crazy the jonathan smith uh quarterback team for and they had what um you know chad john said Ocho Cinco, they had uh yeah, like know. they had a. I I mean they, that team beat the crap out of Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Um yeah, that was like that was like sixty something years, I think, since Oregon's I forget what it was. There was some long streak. So there were definitely some some lean times, but there were still some like good moments with some great players. Uh and then obviously things got a lot better with Pete Carroll.
1: Forget my ignorance, Ryan, but uh what was Paul Hackett's recruiting ability?
3: Uh he was an NFL guy. He like he was known for like Having like a man cave in his basement with like a jukebox and stuff, and just sort of like there was more hands off kind of things. Like they they still would get players. Like they got some some guys, um, but not. He just was not a dynamic recruiter. He just he wasn't a great. I didn't think he related to the players all that well overall.
1: Got it. Interesting. All righty, we got two more in the queue, and then I'm getting into other questions. Let's okay. run through these. I believe our next caller is Kyler from Pennsylvania. Hello, you're live on Hi. television. I
0: yes. My question is: With all the problems USC is having right now, would it be more suitable for an NFL assistant head coach or a college coach?
3: Thanks, Kyle. 100% college coach for me. Like someone that's been there and done that. Like I don't want someone that's never run a program before to take a program that's been that's you know basically been beaten up and have to build it up because you're going to be learning on the job I'd rather have someone that's done it before who's built the program up and they know you know what when I did this that, I thought that was cool but that hell that didn't work so we're gonna do this instead where if you bring in an offensive coordinator or something or defense coordinator from the NFL they probably have some ideas some are good and some won't work and you, you I mean USc's hired way too many people that are learning on the job like Stop hiring people that are on the job hire someone that's done done the job that's where I think USC has to go
2: yeah I think that that's the the correct answer I think it's much easier to bring in someone from the pro ranks you know because I cover college baseball this happens a little bit more often I think it's easier to do that when your head coach goes somewhere else rather than like you're in lean years yeah um, you know whether it's your coach retires or you know just takes a different job or whatever it may be um, I think that's much easier to say, our program's going fine right now. Let's go out of the box a little bit and make a different hire. Uh, let's go to the pro ranks and get somebody, and then you can keep on a couple of assistants that know the college recruiting, know the you know the ins and outs of the NCAA and stuff like that. Whereas you have to learn all that if you're, uh, you know, if you're an NFL assistant coming in. So how many assistants would you keep around then? And right, like right now, you're looking at it like, do you want to keep any USC's assistants around with how much they're struggling in, in different areas? So I, I think all of that would go into it. It's much easier to have a a, a college head coach that is winning, and not not a college assistant, but a college head coach. Yes, I mean, if you just get Nick Saban, I think that makes it easier. Yeah, why not? I mean, he yeah, lost.
1: You know, yeah, he lost. <laughs> he's
2: <There was laughs> off the list. He's off, off the, the list. list. There was a funny
3: post on the peristyle, like eliminate Saban, you know, because he lost the game. It's like that's it, it pretty good. He yeah. lost to an
2: assistant to yeah, one of his former well, yeah, assistants time. First time. for the first, first time. time.
1: Yep. All right, let's go to our last caller in the queue. I believe it is Joe from DC. Hello, you're live on Television.
0: Hello, everybody. Um, Hey, what's wrong with a um, jukebox in the basement? But anyway, um, you guys have to practice this. Honestly, is it sort of like dead team dead coaches walking or is it enthusiasm and they're trying to get right this thing, right this ship?
3: That's a great question. I mean, from what we're seeing out there, and we don't get to see, we get to see most of or all of Tuesday uh, part of Wednesday. So that's it. So it's only a couple of days a week. But we've there's there's some fire, you know. It's not like they're not, uh, it's they're not just going out there and having ice cream and walking around and not doing anything. I mean, they're they're practicing, but I I just feel like the the foundation of what they're practicing upon is what the the problem is. It's not like they're going out there not doing anything.
2: I don't know. Last week, that's part of the reason why I picked Utah is I didn't feel great about how USC practiced last week. Yeah. Part of you know, Dante Williams had to call the team out on Wednesday yeah. uh, when they tried to break the huddle from doing stretches called them back up and said that they were flat and they needed to get their their act together. And that that did change the momentum of that practice, I believe. But just overall, and part of it is it's a little bit low energy right now because they've installed a lot of stuff the last two weeks. Um, And that's part of trying to be more creative on offense and doing a pop pass to Drake London and trying some different things like that. Um, That means you're going to – that creates a lower – energy practice because it's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of walking through the play. Here's where you line up here. And that all takes time uh, versus being able to have competition periods and, you know, the one-on-ones and, hey, we have more time to do this. So I think that was part of it. But, yeah, I wasn't very excited about the way USC practiced last week necessarily. Uh, So I came away, and that's part of the reason why I picked Utah, to at least keep it within the spread. And I actually thought that they would win. Nice.
1: Interesting. Good job, Shakin. Alrighty, thanks for all the calls. Let's go yes. through some rapid-fire questions We'll do rapid-fire. First one is from Cam, who said, Who needs to have themselves a game in order for USC to stay competitive in South Bend?
3: Ooh. I've got to go with someone on the defensive side. I mean, I think someone like like a Thule, Thule, Peloto. If he has a huge game, that's probably good for USC. Um yeah, I don't know. So I think it would be someone on the defensive side. Like you, you know, Drake London's going to get his and all that stuff. But I think a lot of people would need one. But I'll go with someone like if if you got a defensive lineman that like has a great game, you're probably going to do all right.
2: I'm going to I'll expand it a little bit and give one on both sides of the ball. Okay. Uh, Keontae Ingram on the offensive side uh, or one of the running backs. That means the run game's going. That That's means fine. it's a it's a balanced attack more. But when, it's been when, going and no, it had it's been going and then they have said, well, we don't want to do that in the third or fourth quarters. Yeah. And they, have they been closer in the first half or the second halves?
3: No, in the first half for sure.
2: But. So keep running the ball. So if he goes off for 150, that means they've been running the ball well. And, you know, that takes a little bit of the pressure off. We saw in the Colorado game. Now, granted, it's Colorado and they, they stink. But, you know, it takes the <laughs> pressure off Drake London because now, you know, you're balancing the box versus putting extra um, extra guys out there. On the defensive side, if Isaiah Polamau has a big game, I think that changes the impact of the defense you know, he's he's kind of been non-existent this year. And, you know, he's a two-time captain, a guy that's made some interceptions in the past. You know, if he could, it makes one of those plays that you would expect from the safety on the other side, Kyle Hamilton, uh, who's one of the best players in the country, if you see him making a rangy play going to intercept in the past, I think that's the type of game-changing play that the defense needs, more so than, you know, one of the defensive linemen having a good game, which could really benefit them as well because more pressure on the quarterback yeah. again. But, you know, he's a guy that we haven't, seen a bunch of big plays from this year but we have in the past so if he can get on track I, I think that that it, it would be really good for the defense
1: we got a question from Alan on Facebook who said uh, it's a question for shotgun is Graham Harrell's offense as predictable as some fans think it is or is it more on the players
2: it both it gets it gets bogged down and gets very predictable at times I mean I believe now I, I couldn't confirm this I was listening and it sounded like they were calling out USC's plays at times in that Utah game. And that's something we had heard from, that, heard from before, that Stanford yeah. had done. And that's why USC is using the screens now. Now, I don't know if they were calling out the uh, specific audibles that Keaton Slowis was making and that they were motioning in. I think that was actually what was happening more so than the entire play um, because you can have a play and change one route uh, you know, as a quarterback to a receiver. But I think that's what they were doing. And that's a concern. you know, If they know your signals... How can you flip, you know, flip the switch if they know your plays? How can you change that up? I, I think that's part of it, but I also think that they don't have the same type of talent on the outside that they have in the past, and you know, so you can throw that jump ball not just to Drake London, but also to the other side where Taj Washington is, and you throw that ball high like Keenan Lewis did when he was rolling out and it was nearly an interception. Whereas if your number two receiver was Drake London or number you know, three receiver. Drake London, when you throw that ball at Arizona State a couple years ago, and he goes up and snatches it away from a Shari Crosswell, should have been an interception instead, picks up a first down and sets up a field goal. That's the difference. Um, and not to say that Taj Washington can't do some unique things in the offense, but they don't have the same talent level on the outside as they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Rapid fire.
1: We got a question on My Facebook bad. from D.D. Diego, okay. I believe it was YouTube, who said, how many years will it take for a new coach to get USC to the CFP?
2: What do you think? I mean, it depends on the coach. But say you get an upper echelon coach that does everything right, I think that the soonest, I, I think you're looking at probably like four years. But the soonest would be potentially in year two. That yeah. would be that would be everything goes right. Everything goes right. Injuries, you know, your quarterback, uh, just everything kind of goes correct. You you get a coach in soon, and he's able to kill this recruiting class as well. Which whenever they get a coach in the recruiting class will get a big boost. Someone asked about, uh, to answer a different question, um, <laughs> someone asked about the recruiting class, is it going to be worse than 2020? And no, that's not going to be the case because once you get a new head coach, just that infusion of energy and yes. ooh, what could be uh, usually helps out a lot.
1: Yeah, that's what the next question I was going to ask. Uh, Kenneth wanted to know, do you think recruits will be, be deterred by this season or do you think they realize the situation with no head coach and will still take a serious look at SC and want to help change the program?
2: I mean, I think they would be deterred, but I think when you get a new head coach in, it's like, oh, what can this guy do? This guy's coming from whatever program. Look what he did there. Look what he did with this position. That could be me. And I think you get that boost of energy then.
1: Uh, we got a question uh, from uh, Jasper Smith who said, uh, why on earth did the, didn't the quarters jam the Utah receivers when they were man-to-man at the line of scrimmage? They let... Uh, the guys run undeterred with a free release and got behind USC cornerbacks out of the gate.
3: It's weird because we just haven't seen the Utah receivers be all that effective uh, through the first four games, and they certainly <laughs> were against USC. So, I don't know if it. I mean, I don't know if it's as simple as like, oh, just jam them and then they would have like stopped things. But that's you know the the defense that they were trying to play. Um, I think he was leaving some of those guys on, and I, like Shotgun mentioned earlier, they weren't getting the kind of pressure when they did send people. You know, he just wasn't pressured all that much. And so now you got to cover guys for a longer. I mean, if you're jamming with the line of scrimmage, you can really get beat deep, um, you know, if you if you don't have as much help too. So I I don't know if it's like a simple fix like that, but it just,
2: nothing else, seemed nothing really seemed to work. I mean, if you're playing press coverage, then you need to get jam. But if you're playing off, then you're not expected to get your hands on the receiver. Uh, that was one of the interesting things about why USC threw all those wide receiver screens is you saw how much they were playing off of yeah. Drake London. You're just going to keep attacking them, attack them until, and that's someone asked uh, Graham Harrell in the post game. He's like, "Why don't you guys take more deep shots?" Because that worked against Colorado, right? Well, you're not seeing the same defense. You know, yeah. when everyone backs up, you got to take those short ones and just kill them with you know ten yard gains over and over again. And that's that's the thing. And what you what defenses are doing against USC is if you're not getting that extra block, that extra block you need to get that five or six yard gain. Let them get there as many as they can because they're not getting that 15 to 20-yard gain uh, because they're missing that one block.
3: And they also know USC's not really going to keep doing that where they do it for a while, but they're just, you know, you, it's like a death by 1,000 paper cuts and you just have to be patient. And USC's just a big play. It's a big play offense. So they're take if you take away big plays... Will they be able to matriculate down the the field and, and without punch it in?
1: explosives is what Harrell says. Yeah,
3: without the explosive plays, you know,
2: they can do. They've shown they can do that. The problem is they make too many mistakes. Yeah, can they do it without making mistakes? And that's what defense are saying. Like, let's drop everybody in coverage; they'll mess up something. Yeah, the, whether Drake it be run, they'll
3: catch three balls, but then they're going to kick a field goal or go, you know.
2: You yeah. know whether it be they just do, one of the offensive linemen gets beat and we get pressure and suddenly the third and seven to Gary Bryant with a better throw that's a completion and a first down but Keaton Slovis has got someone right in his lap um, or they'll have a penalty. Yeah. Just you kind of count them like yeah, they'll they'll mess up something you that's what like defenses 10- basically are saying is like they'll mess up something let's make sure we don't give them the big play to give them an easy touchdown force them to do it over and over and over again
3: yeah it's hard to do like ten or twelve things good in a row and that's kind of what you have to do and if you're going to play like that, where well, USC is better at screw up, screw up, big play, you know, screw, screw up, big play. And yeah,
1: uh, we got a couple of questions about playing young guys. And something we hadn't mentioned yet is that uh, Dante Williams mentioned how on Thursday's practice, they're going to have kind of a, a young guy scrimmage. Are you guys expecting anything or any results to come out of that, that we could see some differences in the lineup?
3: Nope. Um, no, let me think about that. No,
2: I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I think you could see some guys and I think it's, Partly from the comments we've heard from Dante Williams, I think it was post game, that he said, you know, just because you're a junior or senior doesn't mean that you automatically get to start. So, with a bye week and that comment, that tells me we're going to give everybody an opportunity to take your job and we'll see if anyone can do that. You know, can someone like Kalen Bullock get in because he hasn't got a ton of of opportunities the last couple of years? Can Corey Foreman push one of those guys? And, you know, I don't know, know who else they're looking for. Jalen Smith, you know, he's seen some time at Nickelback. Greg Johnson did not have a good game. Is that a guy that they say, you know, if you play well in this scrimmage on Thursday, maybe we'll give you an opportunity for more opportunities in, in the game on next Saturday against Notre Dame. So I think he could actually, we see some of the younger guys get some. The
3: only issue I have is I think we heard the same thing after every game where, or even before when he took over, like everyone, it's you have to compete for your job every week. He said that day one, you know, like everyone's sure. got to compete for a job. And, I don't know. We're not seeing it. I mean, I why wasn't Miller Moss in the game at the end there? Not, I'm not saying bench keen slowest. I'm just saying get some of the young guys in there and get them to play, you know. And, you know, maybe there's a directive from on top. But, like, you're not going to be the head coach next year. You're, are you worried about his red shirt or whatever? Like, I mean, if the player doesn't want to play because of red shirt or something, I don't know. But, like, I'd rather see the young guys in there and and getting some run. Especially, you know, you've had many opportunities where you're down more than three scores in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'd like to see some some more of that.
1: We got multiple questions about uh, Jackson Dart's status. Uh, any updates there? He seemed to be walking around pretty well, better than what we saw in practice. So I'm just curious, but we haven't really seen him practice at all.
2: I saw him moving a little bit on the sideline, just okay. you know, tossing the ball around. It'll check out the Family Feud podcast; that'll be on there. Ooh. Ooh. As I heard it on the sideline, Ooh. nice. Ooh. But we'll see. So Tuesday
3: will be a practice, and we can kind of see what you know yeah. if he's doing
2: more because we knew he was not going to dress for this game. He yeah. tossed the ball. That's all he did in practice. Yeah. If we he we put pads on and tossed put, the ball. He, yeah. Yes. But um, <laughs> if we see any more action from him besides just tossing mm. the ball.
1: You will know. You will definitely know. We got a question from a Dogs life in Portland on YouTube who said, don't you think that blaming the quote-unquote adults lets off the kids who are sloppy at times and make critical errors?
3: Uh, I mean, it's tough. When you're talking about college kids, yeah, they're, they're players that screwed up for sure. Um, but I – as a college head coach and a college coaching staff, you want to put these guys in the best position to succeed. And I just have a hard time believing that all the dysfunction that's been going on, uh, you know, when you have to fire a head coach two games into the season, I don't think you're putting your players in the best position. So I'm, I'm going to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt here on that one. Shotgun. I got another on one. All right.
1: D.D. Diego said if USC goes four and eight, does that mean the head coaching job is less attractive and Bone has to settle for a tier two type of head coaching candidate?
2: No. I mean, it's not helping. I would say that.
3: I mean, it's, I would agree with you. It's you're looking at this job as the potential. Like, yeah, this yeah. is like the, you know, the best house on the block. Uh, You know, it's been run down. It's got the best bones. It's got the, it's a corner lot. Like everything is good about it, but it looks like crap right now. The bushes have, are dead and, you know, and the roof is leaking and all that stuff. You don't look at that as a, a, you're the best real estate agent in town. You look at that and go, I know what the potential is there. It's more about, it's just like signing a five-star recruit that's got, that's raw. I know what the potential of that player is. I know what the potential of this job is. The fact that it's four and eight, probably is. if I'm taking, I'm like an alpha head coach. I'd rather the team be four and eight because then you have like, you can move up. And I, you know, you go eight and four the next year, you've already doubled their wins and then then you're set up. It's kind of like the Pete Carroll first year where they were sort of like, yeah, figuring it out and then boom, explode on the scene in year two and you, you're winning the Orange Bowl. So yeah, I don't think four and eight or whatever, or whatever, if they have some terrible record, it's going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm a great coach. I don't want to touch USC. They just had a bad year with 10 games under an interim head coach. I, I just don't think a great head coach cares about that.
2: I thought this was rapid fire, no,
3: whatever. Oh,
2: got
1: it back. Okay, it you you have no right to do that, shotgun. Thank I, I would
2: say I would say with a four and eight, though, you have more chance of losing players to transfer portal or something Especially like that. One time transfer rule, so that can make it more you know less attractive because if you see a roster with nothing, yeah, because you know the expectations that are at USC. That's
1: a good point by
3: shorty. Yeah. Uh, but, we got a tweet
1: from a quick one. Steve quick who said, why does it seem like Orlando can't seem to make any halftime adjustments? I just got, you said that's funny.
3: I mean, the whole like 42 to three in the third quarter thing is pretty bad. I, I wouldn't put it just on Orlando. USC's not scoring points in the, in the third quarter. That's thing. a healthy thing. Consistently. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. It's not like people want to think, oh, fire Orlando, fire, you know, like you've already, you've cut the head off the snake. You fired the guy you need to fire. Like, Firing Orlando or Graham Harrell right now, what are you going to do? Like, there's no better options that are on the roster. Like, you, you just have to keep everyone and kind of keep them together, and that's Dante Williams trying to do that. But that's been a Helton thing. It's not. I don't think it's a exclusive to Todd Orlando or Graham Harrell thing. That's just been more about this team just comes out and has been pretty terrible in third quarters. So I think it was earlier in the season. It was like seven of eight games they didn't score a touchdown in the third quarter. Now it's you know it might be like. 9 of 10 now or something like that or whatever. But it's it's been pretty crazy.
2: I mean, there's times when Tarlando puts guys in the right position and they just don't make a tackle. So, you know, what adjustment do you make to that? Uh, that's the difficult thing right now. If they were tackling great and getting beat the way they are, then you look at the scheme much more than you do at, you know, what is happening during the play. Uh, yeah. So uh, a little bit more, I don't know, grace there for for Todd Orlando just because they aren't tackling now that's his fault you know he's as a defense coordinator he's got to correct that but as far as the adjustments and stuff I think he's trying stuff and doing some stuff that is working it's just they aren't making the plays that they they are capable of
1: we got multiple questions asking why through game five USC's wide receivers don't have more chemistry with their quarterback
2: I mean, I think you're seeing that has actually progressed. I think Malcolm Epps, seeing him make some catches, I think that you know on a scramble drill type of thing. Um, now, I, my rewatch, I'm halfway in the third quarter. A lot of people were, Keaton's staring down Drake London. I'm like, all the passes to Drake London early in the game are all screen passes. And there's a couple of them that are over zones coverage. I'm like, that's not staring down. So maybe that's in the later in the third and fourth quarter that I haven't got to yet to, to really fully rewatch. Um, but that was kind of confusing to me just seeing a bunch of those comments in my tweets, which maybe that's just a regurgitated thing because that's been the common refrain from people for the last few weeks. Yeah.
3: I don't know. It's just, I mean, there's something that's not right. And I don't think losing your head coach has helped either. You know, like there's just some weird personalities there. It just doesn't seem to be working right now. You need a great head coach that can be like, would look in that room and go, why are these guys not talking or what's going on here? Like, there's something that was going on, and it just doesn't seem. I get it. Like they've they've progressed. We've seen Michael Trigg get better. We've seen some guys work, but it just, they had a whole off season together, and it just it looked like they're sort of like meeting everyone for the first time, almost. Some of this stuff.
2: I would say the last two weeks we haven't seen a receiver go one way and the throw go the other way. True, which yeah. Which exactly. we did see Washington State, and we did see in Oregon State from two different quarterbacks. So maybe that is progression. Um, maybe that is just the plays that they're running and they're more straightforward. I don't know, but. I would say that is one thing to note.
1: Big T wanted to know, and he asked all of us, it's your job to watch and cover this team from beginning to end. How much worse does this feel than 2018? Because it looks worse.
3: I was listening to, like, the the Reign of Troy, our friends over there. And mm-hmm. I think they were saying this year it looks worse. Because um, there was, like, some close games and stuff. Like, the three blowout losses at home. I mean, yeah. to Stanford, Oregon State. In the or,
1: easier part of the schedule. Yeah. Or what yeah, was expected like, to be.
3: Exactly. Like, this is... Pretty bad, you know. Um, you know you that when Orgeron came in as the interim, and they went on a run. Yeah, they lost to the rivals, but they they won some games. They beat a you know number four Stanford at home. There was some like excitement there, and like it's hard to get excited over like oh, scored twenty eight points against Washington State in the third quarter, or oh, beat Colorado can't you know, but gave up the most points that they you know of any Power Five team that they played this year. There's it's just something's. This is, I think, this is worse. Uh, you know, five and seven, it kind of really got bad at the end. So let's, I guess, we can hold judgment until we see what happens at the end. USC could make some kind of run, but man, that that season ended really poorly. And you know, losing the Cal and UCLA and Notre Dame, like, ugh, that was that was bad. But the beginning part of the season, this is, I think, this is worse.
2: Yeah, for us, it's worse just because it's like, bleh. It's the same thing. Yeah. They're just getting dominated uh, in the trenches. That's, I, I believe, that's what Keontae Ingram says. They just got dominated up front. Um. Whereas 2018, it was more they're making mistakes and costing themselves the games. So yeah. it was like they were in the game, so they're at least exciting games of whether they would win or lose. These are like okay, when do the fans leave? Is it going to be five minutes in the third quarter? Is it going to be when uh, the fourth quarter begins after the torch is lit? Uh, what will it be this game? Because also, that's been the case the last three weeks. Or last three home games. Sorry.
1: Also, I feel like with the twenty eighteen season, you could kind of say, Hey, what is gonna happen with this true freshman qu- quarterback? You came into this season going, Hey, this is King Slovis in his third year. What are you like, there were points. higher expectations, whereas I think you could kind of have the freshman excuse a little bit for 2018. So I think it's different. A quick answer here, Trojan Trojan said, what was going on with all the background music during the post game press conference? Uh, where USC holds its post game press conferences is right next to the opposing locker room, which it's horrible timing because whenever there's a horrible loss, you just hear the other team uh celebrating while like coaches and players are trying to speak.
2: So <laughs> which you've heard pretty much the last three home games. Um and if you go on the Utah football um Twitter accounts or social media accounts, you can see the videos and why it was so loud because they are really living it up in there for their first win in the Coliseum ever.
3: Yeah, there was uh I got that's funny. When I left a little, you you guys were doing the post-game, I did the post-game press conference and I was walking back down through the tunnel and Ashley Adamson was interviewing Cameron Rising uh, for Pac-12 Network in the tunnel. He had actually stopped, when when I was going into the tunnel, he had stopped and saw some family members uh, in the Coliseum. And then, you know, the the Utah staff was like, get in here, get in here, Cam. So they made him go in, but then he came back out to the field and he was actually at his phone, and I was like, "What is he doing?" And someone was like filming him. He's like on the Coliseum field all by himself. So I tweeted a picture out of him out there, and then I found out from Bill Riley, uh, who you know covers Utah, and I go on his show a bunch, that he was FaceTiming his mom. So he's from so he's like Ventura or something. So Newberry, Park. New New Newberry Park, Newbury Park. And uh, his mom couldn't be at the Coliseum, so she was he was FaceTiming her on the field after his big win. I tweeted it out. His mom responded to it and stuff, and a lot of Utah people did. So it was kind of it was a nice. Uh, moment out there for him, so you just don't want you know. There's been some nice moments for USC opponents in the Coliseum. You don't want to see. Know, about to it's great the for thing. them, great kids, but you don't want to see. there a lot of
2: USC opponents soaking up the uh, the post game, uh, yeah. the revelry uh, of the Coliseum, and you know what it is like at night, and that should be USC players, not uh, not their opponents. Yeah, Mario Cristobal. I mean, there's been a lot of people
3: that have done that.
1: Chloe White said, against the Irish, what is the one stat you value above all others? Time of possession, third down conversions, or
3: the turnover battle? I go points. That's a good question. <laughs> Score more points. You got a better shot.
1: Uh, Troll Ryan is here, oh. alive and well. Oh.
3: Yeah. Do you have a
2: real answer? Or are you gonna stick I mean, with turnover,
3: them? like, t- time of possession means nothing. Yeah. Um, USC you know, was dominating the time of possession the first half. Yeah, it's I like, who, who cares? Uh, I mean, it's, USC just has to not look incompetent, maybe. That would be. So you're um, not
1: going to answer the question? I don't know. Like,
3: I, uh, th- th-
2: th- no. Turnover. Go ahead, you. Turnover's fine for me. I think it might be rush yards because, because if, if, if USC is running the ball well, that means their offense is going well. Didn't they run the ball if, well against Oregon State in the first half, and then they stopped running well, but it. They, but you still like ran like you came. I'm talking the about game. the end of the game. Know, if you they, look at the end of the game, they said they ran the ball well. They said they ran the ball well. Yeah. Did their stats look like that? No. Okay. We're talking about the stats. Okay. Their stats said they look. Meh. They did. Meh. Because they didn't run the ball much. But if at the end of the game, USC's run stats look good and Notre Dame's run stats don't look good, that's their strength is to be able to run the ball. That's where they should be able to pound USC. Their quarterbacks have really struggled. Jack Cohn has been replaced multiple games. Tyler Buckner came in, got replaced last game. You know, he's a true freshman. So, yeah, if their run game's not going well, that is a telling stat in that game for USC. I
3: mean, USC offensive stats, I think, I mean, I, I mean, we, I was looking at the stats, I'm like, wait, Keith's lowest there for 400 yards in that game? Like, it means, so our friend at least at told us says empty calories. There's a lot of empty calories, so I'm not going to say, USC rushed for 250 yards, they're going to win the game. Like, no, that could be empty calories.
2: When will they ever run for 250 yards and lose like they have at the home?
3: What did they rush against uh, Oregon State? Like, they got over 200, I think. No, they didn't. Didn't they? I don't know, whatever, but... Uh, Oregon State did. They ran for 300. They ran for a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Empty calories, I would say.
1: Sorry, I'm looking at the, the box score now. Uh, they rushed for 76
3: yards. Against Oregon State? I thought yep. they had like a bigger game against Who nope. was wow. it. Wow. Because
2: Who was they ran the ball well early and then they stopped and they had a couple sacks. Nah, and suddenly it, it all gets pulled back. Oh, the sacks all happen. Okay. <laughs> all righty. A couple more questions. If they run for 250 yards, they will not be down by 40 points and be like, you know what? We should run the ball right now. They could. And we yeah. get a couple of breakaway runs and suddenly the running yard, that's not going to happen.
3: They could run they like ran 80 the yards and then like stall in the red zone. They ran
2: the ball, I think, seven times in the second half Oh yeah, against perfect. Utah.
1: Two more questions. <laughs> One right. from Big T who said, shotgun. Cover your ears, boss man. What are your initial thoughts on the basketball team after do watching two practices? This.
2: We are not doing this. Hey, is this a basketball school now? This that's is, a better question. Is what? Okay. Is USC a basketball school now? Oh, they're better at the that. The boss
1: man says you can't answer a shotgun. I'm going to
2: answer it anyways.
1: I know you were
2: going to do that. It, uh, positive reviews so far. Uh Check out the ghost notes for that positive reviews so far, but still really early in camp. It's like seeing the first two weeks of fall camp or even spring camp uh, for football and being like, oh, this team's definitely a Final Four team. No, it's, it's still really early. You know, We'll see in a couple weeks as they get closer to the season where they're at.
1: And final question goes to Jasper Smith, who said, by week, what is the tunnel vision schedule going forward?
2: Uh,
3: we are going to take a little tunnel vision break. Television um, bye week Yeah.
1: I don't know why. I I'm going to go
3: camping in Catalina on Thursday. So, you know, get out of town a little bit. Uh, I was up for a Sunday show. So Sunday's probably still up in the air.
1: Sunday's TBD.
3: TBD, because, you know, if there's some newsy stuff that happens. But otherwise, there probably won't be anything newsy coming into the break. So yeah. we'll we'll be back next Thursday for the preview before Notre Dame for sure. Maybe Sunday, a week from today.
1: Yeah. So that is the schedule going forward. I hope you guys have a good bye week
3: Do you want to throw the one up that I – Oh, sure. We got one
2: on there. You guys can follow us on social media. We'll tweet out if we are having a Sunday show. We'll get Ryan to actually tweet out if we're not having a Sunday show. How about that? Right.
1: If you get eaten by a buffalo or something, you can update the people. Yeah. I'll
3: be back on Saturday. I'll be like a day ahead of time. The last time my flight got – I mean literally a seven-hour delay on the flight. Like when does that happen? Crazy. That was kind of nuts when you're coming east.
1: We got a question, Ryan, you wanted me to put up or a comment that said, Ryan, Dart needs to start.
3: We get a lot of that, right? Where do you guys fi- fall? Oh, so
1: on you it? want us to answer this? Well, I
3: can. I mean, talk about it, too. Like, I, I, I wasn't a, f- a fan of this. Like, Keen Slovis is still. I mean, P- uh, PFF had him graded out well. He graded out he well. He threw four hundred yards, dude. Come on. Like, obviously, that does, you know a lot of empty calories there. Um, if they end up losing to Notre Dame, and uh, you know, you're fighting for bowl eligibility or whatever. I mean, I guess you're still fighting for something. Another couple of losses, i would be on board if, if Jackson Dart comes back healthy. Um and you wanna just start playing younger players, I, I got no problem with that. But I, I don't think the fans are like Dart's gonna save everybody. Like I uh, I'm I'm just not into that. Like it's the offense more than Dart or Slovis or whatever, you know.
2: If if both of them are perfectly healthy going in the Notre Dame game, I don't think you start Dart. No. But I do want to see that Dart package. And That'd what can good, that yeah. add to the offense? That's like, Maybe that's the creativity they're missing. Um, and if Keaton Slovis really struggles, which he's playing okay, he's not playing great, and the bigger issue is can Dart provide a spark? And maybe that's something where you throw him in, and that might be instead of you know him starting, if things just aren't going well for USC's offense, you say, let's try to do something different and mix it up. And if that happens and he takes over, then you have a different conversation, but yeah. just – Dart coming back from injury and hey he's healthy now he should start I don't think that's the case.
3: We saw that with Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler you know like another Heisman you know front runner and you've benched him and you end up winning the game you know so like I don't think anyone should be beyond being benched um, but I wouldn't go in probably go into the Notre Dame at this point when him coming off the the injury but now the season's pretty much toast like yeah you can play young players and if there's if Keaton's struggling you want to use him and bring him in I got no problem with that.
1: What's interesting is Dante Williams, when asked questions about what to focus on the bye week, the f- thing he kept saying was, first, we need to get healthy. And he said, we have a lot, we have talented players that are not healthy right now, which could mean anything. But part of me was like, is he mentioning dark? Cause as far as injuries, it's not too major, right, Shotgun?
2: And at one point, he said they have you know when he was asked about the players you know uh, checking out basically for the season he's like well we got two you got two NFL QBs we got uh, and he started rattling off different position groups and I was like two NFL QBs I mean that's that's high praise right there for someone in that room yeah. <laughs> so someone's getting left out at the that's same time it feels like um but you know Miller Moss hasn't been in a game to actually got to prove himself that he can do that but you know that's high praise there, but I would say that's one of those talented players that they're looking to get healthy. Drake Jackson is one. We didn't actually get an update on him, but he did walk out in a soft cast, soft boot um, yeah. when, he, when he left the stadium. And It was something he was getting retaped multiple times. There were actually multiple players that I saw getting checked by staff, but not necessarily anyone that really came out. I saw Jalen Smith get checked. I saw a couple of the linebackers get checked by the training staff. Um, so you know they've got a couple guys. There's also some guys that aren't with the program because of off-the-field stuff. If they could get them back, that would help. Just adding extra talent to the roster, that doesn't seem like anything's going to be changed there anytime soon, but it would help.
1: All righty, gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up. We'll be back after the bye week. Thanks so much for watching. We love being the the USC therapy, if you will, for you we guys. We a lot of people
3: live, so appreciate you yeah. coming on there. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, you guys
1: for doing that. All righty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next time.